Take your Bibles now and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that He hath promised us even eternal life. The promise spoken of is that promise of the Son of God that proclaimed that whosoever believed in Him would be given God's eternal life. This heavenly promise was personally given to John by Jesus Christ Himself. Hence, the Apostle seeks to assure his readers that that which He, Jesus Christ, hath promised, which pertains to receiving eternal life from God, was given to John while Christ tabernacled in the flesh. It is He whom John leaned upon His bosom, and He, Jesus Christ, whom it is recorded, loved John. Barnes on 1 John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that He, Jesus Christ, hath promised us even eternal life. This is evidently added to encourage them in adhering to the truths which they had embraced respecting the Son of God. In maintaining these truths, they had the promise of eternal life. In departing from them, they had none. For the promise of heaven in our world is made only to those who embrace one class of doctrines or opinions, end quote. Verse 26 now. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. The believers to whom John was speaking had not been actually seduced, but many false teachers were attempting to accomplish such a purpose. There have always been and always will be those who try and turn people from the faith. Elymas the sorcerer was such a man. Thus, whenever the Holy Spirit and its power and spiritual fruit is drawing men to God, those with unholy spirits, who themselves have already rejected God, will exert great energy to influence others to become like themselves. If they are successful and men are deceived to depart from God, like the Greek word for seduce implies, then endless wandering will be the result. The original Greek word for seduce means to cause to wander, to wander. Israel's unbelief in God's promises led to their wanderings in the desert. And ultimately, only two, Joshua and Caleb, were allowed to enter the promised land. Hence the judgments against not believing in the Son of God and His purposes for coming into the world will end in an endless state of wandering. This is what transpired with unbelieving Israel, and the same result will occur for those who reject Christ. Verse 27 now. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Previously, the apostle spoke of the knowledge of Christ. Now he references the anointing given by Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit, which allows believers to be taught of God. Christ's Spirit would teach them, 
and warn them not to contemplate or trust the deceptive and misleading words of seducers. The Spirit of God would teach them all things, not only to recognize and repent of sin, but also would reveal the true path to heaven. And in John chapter 14, verse 26, we read, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Gill's commentary on John 14, 26, He shall teach you all things. This is the proper work and business of the Spirit, to teach, interpret, and explain all things which Christ had said to them, to make them more plain and easy to their understandings, to instruct them in all things necessary for salvation, and to be known by them, that they might teach them others." A Christian can possess no greater teacher than the Holy Spirit. He, the Spirit of God's Son, is the Christian's greatest spiritual tutor and can enlighten him on so many things concerning God and the higher spiritual realm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 we read, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. No merely fleshly man can come to know the deeper things of the Lord through his own natural ability, simply because the spiritual realm is separate from the material realm. As such, the Spirit is needed to truly unlock the spiritual realm's hidden truths and mysteries. And again, 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God's Spirit is necessary for our instruction in the invisible spiritual world. To learn of God who is Spirit, one must be taught by Him. And this can only occur through the illumination and enlightenment produced by the Holy Spirit, as spiritual things can only be communicated through spiritual means. Thus for God who is spirit, to make himself more fully known to man, his own divine nature is necessary to be possessed, so that what cannot be seen by physical sight can be grasped through spiritual illumination. God has chosen to make himself known through his Son, his Word, and his Spirit. It is through these three holy entities, which are all directly connected to the Father and part of Him, that God makes Himself known to the world, without which such spiritual aids men would not even really know if either God or heaven existed. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 now. And now, little children, abide in Him, that... When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This verse teaches us that if men have not abided in Christ while on earth, then they will be ashamed of Christ's coming. Thus, only those who will possess confidence at Christ's coming are those who actually abided in the Son of God. Mere professors of religion 
shall have no such internal spiritual assurance. Even as all who chose to go their own way shall come to know the justifiable disgrace for the way they have lived their life. The reasons for many people's shame when they face Jesus Christ at his return will be numerous. One, they will be ashamed of their unbelief, which they once cherished. Two, they will learn that the Son of God is who he said he was and was never an imposter. Three, they will discover that a higher spiritual realm of God not only exists, but also rules and overrules the world's final end. Four, there will be shame that after given an opportunity for forgiveness, but then rejecting it, now men will have to give an account for their sin. Five, their lives will be seen to have been lived in vain, with no respect for the hereafter, and this shall be recognized as a great unchangeable error. Six, they will be ashamed for their carnal motives that led them, and the hidden selfish motives they were governed by. Seven, they shall be ashamed for believing lies over the truth, because now the truth will be made clearly visible. Eight, things that most thought were hidden from God are now made manifest when Jesus searches men's hearts. Nine, the way to heaven they now come to learn was not nearly as broad as they had once hoped it would be. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Righteous spiritual obedience is the true fruit of divine birth. Just as God is righteous, so those born of him will seek to walk in his own righteousness. Thus, pursuing God's righteousness is credible evidence of being born of God and being made a son of God. This because the new birth given by Christ gives a man the ability to walk righteously in order that he may keep God's commandments while also receiving the strength to continue departing from sin. Hence, because God has given His Son's new hearts through receiving the Holy Spirit, righteousness shall be their preferred way of living. Those who pursue righteousness also give evidence of God's Holy Spirit leading them. In contrast to the dark and evil spirits of this world who themselves continue to promote both unrighteousness and ungodliness. Matthew Poole's commentary on 1 John 2.29, Do righteousness, which alone would evidence their divine birth, since God hath no children destitute of his image, or who resemble him not, end quote. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 now. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. No greater manifestation of divine love is shown than when by grace God enables previous sinners to become sons of God through Jesus Christ. It is this spiritual sonship that John directs his readers to behold, and dwell upon, 
so they might more fully recognize the great act of divine love that has been bestowed upon them. No emperor, ruler, conqueror, or king who has ever lived can exceed the glory given to God's true children. To be accounted as a son of God is the highest office, most exalted position, and greatest honor ever given to men. And it was purely divine love that produced such a heavenly blessing. The Lord has performed many other acts throughout various dispensations to reveal His generous and benevolent nature. Yet none compare to His grace in imparting heavenly sonship to those who in themselves could never be worthy of it. Verse 2 now. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. In Christ's kingdom, all are one in him, and none are lesser than another. When men are saved, they therefore receive the very same rights and privileges as all the other sons of God. This will include even Christ's apostles and disciples who physically walked with the Savior while he was on earth. Thus John emphasizes the wonderful revelation that those he is writing to now fully share in the same honor as himself, as having been made a son of God. This is seen by the Apostle's repetition of we in regards to not only his own hope at Christ's return, but also all God's new sons. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. There is a certain mystery regarding the transformation that shall occur to saints at Christ's appearance. It doth not yet appear. It is not visible. It cannot be seen. The secret things belong unto the Lord, and this is one of those hidden mysteries. Perhaps what awaits the saint is beyond present human understanding or spiritual illumination, so that even if God attempted to reveal it to us, the reality would far exceed anything we could ever grasp. Thus, just as the full extent of Christ's own glory largely remains a mystery, so also is the coming glory of what his people will be made to be through him hidden in God. Yea, it doth not yet appear what we Christians will be, only that we will be made to share in the same image as our Savior. When he shall appear, we shall be like him. No truth more exemplifies the incredible oneness that Christ shares with his people than the fact that at his return they shall be made to share in the same glorious spiritual image as himself. Ultimately, Christ became flesh for us so we could be made spiritual beings and sons of God through him. The bond between the saved and their Savior is far beyond what most could imagine. By Jesus taking on our physical nature, this afforded the glorious opportunity for us to share in his own eternal and spiritual nature. What God has made the head to be shall be passed on to each and every one of his members. 
as the head is, so shall the body be. Thus, when Jesus Christ is fully glorified and made known to the whole world, then shall come the full and complete glorification of his people. They shall be as he is, even as he became as they were. And this shall be practically demonstrated when all those chosen by Christ are made to share in the same heavenly image as Christ and join him in heaven to eternally live with him. See him as he is. The believer's supernatural heavenly transformation is expressly linked to the sight of his Savior. Scripture contains no more beautiful truth than this. The revelation that when the church sees the glorified Lord Jesus, all shall at that very moment be changed into his own glorious image. Barnes on this verse, 1 John 3, 2. For we shall see him as he is, which it would be impossible we should do if we were not like him. Or rather, as perhaps the apostle chiefly means, the great privilege being granted us of seeing him as he is, the sight of him will transform us into his likeness, end quote. The book of Romans reveals that the whole of creation waits and anticipates this future event, which is the manifestation of the sons of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 19, we read, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. A new heaven and earth will emerge, in which holiness and divine righteousness shall dwell. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Commentators differ as to what the creature spoken of in Romans rightfully refers to. One school of thought is that the reference is to the new creation formed in the Christian at conversion. Romans 7 speaks of the conflict between the old and new nature in the Christian, which lasts until a total transformation of his body has taken place. Another more embraced interpretation is that the creature spoken of is all created things, the entire realm of God's creation. In truth, both interpretations are valid, and both can be believed, and we need not throw one out to have confidence in the other. Simply because the liberty that the Christian will experience at Christ's coming will simultaneously be felt in the whole of creation. Hence, both the saint and the fallen world around him shall be changed and readied for the ushering in of the kingdom of God, since all must be made new for the spiritual reign of God through Jesus Christ to commence. And just as there will be a new world order, so shall the whole of creation be liberated from its present spiritual decay, sin, and corruption. The promise, though, that God will make all things new is not itself fully new. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, we read, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mine. What is new is that this transformation of both heaven and earth 
will be accomplished through the spiritual power given to Jesus Christ. Once believers are made completely new spiritual beings through Christ's power, they will no longer remember their previous and painful earthly troubles. The past shall be over, forgotten, erased, and so totally removed from the consciousness of the saved that even if they looked for it, it could not be found. With a new spiritual world and new heavenly bodies, saints will create new memories, hopes and affections fit for the heavenly and spiritual realm, which is now their new home. All former things will pass away, and all things will be made new. And in Revelation 21.4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The Benson Commentary on Revelation 21.4, From the first mention of him that sat upon the throne, this is the first speech which is expressly ascribed to him. And Revelation 5.1 reads, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Back to the commentary now. He, God in Christ, is the author of this second, as he was of the first creation. And he commands these things to be written for the edification, support, and consolation of his people, with a full assurance of their certainty and importance. And he, the same person saith to me, write, namely as follows, these words are true and faithful. This includes all that went before. The apostle seems again to have ceased writing, being overcome with ecstasy, and the voice of him that spake, end quote.